I started missing the simple pleasure of reading a book with a cup of tea tucked under a blanket, my mind wandering in amazing made-up worlds. So I really wanted to know, why wasn't this accessible to my mind anymore? Why was I looking so deeply into the words, unable to truly enjoy the story? Welcome to The Pen Garden, your writing productivity and mental health podcast which will help you build a zen writing routine tailored to your lifestyle. I'm your host Lainey, a self-published author and an overall anxious mess trying to do a bit better every day. Stick around for the next 10 or so minutes to hear me discuss the wonderful act of reading and how I struggle to get enjoyment out of it for a time. I will discuss two different modes of reading and how things can change around that when you're a writer on the hunt for learning. This season, Love Learn, began last week with an episode about the emotional place of money in a writing journey. I touched on investing money in your writing, spending, profits, and how they all affect writers' mental health. If you haven't listened yet, do it after you listen to this one, and if you haven't already, please leave a review for the show. There are two more episodes left of this season, one about juggling a writing routine among a thousand other routines you might already have, and another one is about why we should return to comforting pieces of fiction when our writer journeys take unexpected turns that we're struggling to process. There's even a secret bonus episode coming up soon, listen till the end to find out what it is. And with this bit out of the way, let's chat about reading. The topic last week, money and writing, was a bit heavy, so I thought I should switch gears for this one and talk about something lighter, reading. This whole season is learning to love your journey and I can 100% say that the way I read changed dramatically since I became an author. As most writers, I'm an avid reader and have been since I could read at the age of five. I still remember the first children's book I could read aloud without stumbling. It was a cute story about a little horse chestnut who didn't have any friends because of his spiky case. When he shed it though, and he saw he was a gleaming conquer all along, he learned to love what's inside. As you can see, the topic of self-love has been a thing in my life for many, many years, and yet I still struggle. Part 1. Reading as a Writer One unexpected avenue to this writing journey and love struggle was how my relationship with reading changed. It was prompted by that Stephen King quote, you might have heard it. It goes like this. If you don't have the time to read, you don't have the time or the tools to write. So naturally, I thought, that's true, it makes sense. I should read and I should learn. So reading for pleasure gradually became reading to learn. When I had a riveting fiction book in my hands, I was looking at it no longer as entertainment and relaxation, but as an opportunity to gleam insight into the success of others. So to fortify the impression you have of me from the last episode, I wasn't only trying to do all the marketing stuff other writers did, I was trying to read between their lines of their works, put myself in their shoes and then have that knowledge inform my own writing journey. In itself, this isn't really a bad thing because I did learn a lot about the craft of writing from reading books analytically. But the main reason I held a book in my hands shifted from relaxation to learning, which is a big thing for me. 
Some of you will say that you find studying relaxing, but for most people, those two things won't be on the same level. That was the case for me too. Instead of getting sucked in a story, escaping the tough reality of lockdown, I was using active brain power to keep track of how the author had approached their writing. Where there should have been adventure, intrigue and excitement, there was an active search of character arcs and novel structures used, an almost painful awareness of adverbs, repetitions and grammar mistakes, and an always simmering need to know how this book was marketed and where it falls in our current publishing reality. Now, these things by themselves, I still think, are really useful. There is a lot to be learned from the practice, and I'm in no way suggesting it's a thing you should avoid in your journey. Observational learning, as defined, is people's ability to learn behaviors from others by observing and reproducing the action. I think as I engaged with books from a certain point in my writing journey, I approached them as real-life case studies to be observed, dissected, and evaluated, eventually serving to better my own craft and knowledge. For me, this was invigorating in many ways, but after time passed, I started missing the simple pleasure of reading a book with a cup of tea tucked under a blanket, my mind wandering in amazing made-up worlds. So I really wanted to know, why wasn't this accessible to my mind anymore? Why was I looking so deeply into the words, unable to truly enjoy the story? After a bit of research on observational learning, I found that it has four distinct steps. Attention, retention, reproduction and motivation. I will drop an article which looks into what each of these steps entails in the blog post for this episode, but I personally want to focus on the first and the last steps of the process. For me, those two hold the secret as to why I wasn't enjoying reading in the same way anymore. Part 2. Attention and Motivation According to psychology, observational learning begins with giving the object or model your attention. For an observer to learn, they must be in the right mindset to do so. This means having the energy to learn, remaining focused on what the model is engaging in, and being able to observe the model for enough time to grasp what they're doing. This is significant for me because the way I focus when I learn is different from when I'm enjoying myself. The next few bits are my own thoughts and are not scientifically proven, but I split my focus time in two categories, analytical focus and flow focus. When one occurs, for me, the other remains dormant unless something triggers it. Generally, I can't be in both states at once. Analytical focus allows me to pick up small details, make logical connections, connect writing knowledge to its application, and recognize flaws and strengths in a book. Flow focus, on the other hand, is when I'm completely immersed, letting my imagination dictate how I perceive the words and characters instead of my logical author mind. In this state, I can often lose myself for hours in a book, ignoring any technical parts of the writing and simply writing the high of a story well told. I did mention that something might trigger a switch in states for me, but that's very rare. It has to be something like a very emotional scene that pulls me in, or the opposite, a page full of repetitions that my writer brain can't ignore. So you might wonder at this point, if I'm so aware of this, why can't I just choose the mindset I need for a particular book when I start it, instead of agonizing about how I now struggle to read for pleasure? This is where the last step of observational learning comes in, motivation. How do we decide if what we've gleaned from someone else's work should be applied to our own writing? Psychology says 
that in order for the observer to engage in this new behavior, they will need some sort of motivation. Even if the observer is able to imitate the model, if they lack the drive to do so, they will likely not follow through with this new learned behavior. And this is where, for me, things started to go downhill with reading for pleasure. I estimated the benefits of simply enjoying a book in a flow state versus analytically approaching all elements used by the author and decided that in order for me to grow, I need to be constantly learning. So overall, if anything, I was too motivated to learn and adopt new practices in my journey. So reading stopped being a relaxation activity. Instead, each became a case study, as I said, of what to do, what not to do, or a bit of both. This, to many of you, might still sound absolutely reasonable. And to me, it did too. But the thing is, the mind needs rest. I didn't have any downtime to actually reflect on what I've learned, if it's applicable to what I write, or to check in with my mental health. This led to me dreading turning on my Kindle or opening a physical book. It reminded me of my time in school when I would sit down to do my homework some days and release a massive sigh because I wanted to do something else, anything else, like play computer games, read some elaborate high fantasy novel, see friends. Back then, however, I had an obligation to study the way I was told to. The beauty of being an adult is that you have more freedom about how you spend your time. When I realized that now I had this familiar feeling, I asked myself why am I essentially making myself hate something that used to give me so much joy? And unable to find an appropriate answer, I decided I had to reclaim reading for pleasure, no matter what. Part 3. Reading for pleasure. Why do people read? If we take the learning element out of it, meaning we don't look at textbooks and academic literature, manuals and various practical books, why do people read fiction and creative non-fiction? To put it simply, it's an action you engage out of your own free will knowing that the act of reading will bring you satisfaction. You choose when, where, how and what. It's an activity that can help you escape reality for a bit or assist you in partaking in play scenarios that may never happen in your real life by feeding your imagination. Seemingly, by these definitions, however, I was reading for pleasure, even when doing better reading or highly analytical reading. It was my own choice how and when to read, after all. Well, it's not that simple. Knowing the extent of the pleasure I could derive from reading when I finished a book after book and it was missing from my experience, this limited the benefits of this whole reading undertaking to just improving writing craft and knowledge. And I know what you might say, just, isn't that a lot? Yes, it is, especially for a new author, but the benefits of reading for pleasure are also far broader and dare I say, sometimes even more important. Evidence suggests that in adults, reading for pleasure can contribute to better self-esteem, improved ability to cope with difficult situations and to problem-solve, a higher life satisfaction and reduced risk of depression. If those aren't enough, reading for enjoyment also impacts on our abilities to connect with others, helping us understand others' feelings, giving us awareness of cultures and experiences that might be unfamiliar to us, and aiding us in our social life overall by making it more pleasurable, accessible and easier to maintain. While the social benefits are a little bit difficult to gauge at the moment, 
I was also missing out on all the other benefits, particularly all the mental health improvements that I was so used to getting before I turned fiction books into writing school textbooks. So as with the budgeting in the previous episode, at some point the balance had shifted. Educated and empowered by dreams of finding that amazing flow focus when reading, I set out to find a way to even out the scales. Part 4. Two ways, one reader. When I finished the books I had committed to for the Pen Garden Better Reading Program Round 1, I knew I had to try reading something I wasn't obliged to do anything with. Not provide feedback and reviews, not even study for its popularity, and not even because someone else had recommended it for a certain writing approach I should take notice of. It was just an interesting book picked out of a haystack of other books. I can also call it trashy maybe, because it's nowhere close to a literary novel, and I picked it because I found inside a cluster of my favorite tropes. I'm not ashamed and I couldn't be happier with my choice. I read a chapter, then two, then three. I was immersed. From time to time my logical brain would pick up a repetition or a pesky adverb that I would hate, but I would just let it go and turn the page. As the action progressed and I got to know the characters, the little typos and issues became easier to ignore. I knew the author didn't want or need my input, no one did, and that was very, very freeing. My only purpose to read was chasing my own enjoyment. Luckily for me, I found plenty of it. On a roll, I picked up the second book in the series and I'm still going strong on the pleasure front. As I started to relax around reading again and finding my flow state with it, it became clear to me that I need to establish a balance which protects my reading for pleasure time. The benefits are just too good to pass up. But analytical reading and learning from Addis' writing is here to stay also. I can't give it up. It has greatly improved my writing craft and helped me meet many new fellow authors. It's been rewarding in another way. For myself, I will try to establish reading goals at the beginning of each book I pick up. Some might be easy. For example, if I'm better reading, I will be engaging my better reading brain. I tend to slide into that when I'm reading extremely popular books as well, either traditionally published or self-published, because I want to understand the elements of their success. But beyond that, I will try to shed my author's skin and embrace the reader in me, which has actually been around for much longer. It will be a real shame if I lose her, so I will do my best to remind myself, often, of the mental health benefits of reading for pleasure. Conclusion. Writing as a reader. Finally, knowing how I read, how I swing back and forth between my brainwaves, I want to incorporate that in my writing as well. I want to write books which are enjoyable and let readers get completely immersed in the story. That, of course, means looking out for what triggers me away from my flow state and avoiding that. It means keeping my mind open at all times so I can notice things. But an open mind is different from a constantly turned-on critical state. So as I navigate these subtle differences in my inner world, I hope that you too have found something useful to think about in this episode. And that's all I wanted to say today. Do you read a lot? Are you using it to learn the writing craft or simply to enjoy a relaxing moment in time? Maybe both? Let me know. I'm on Facebook and Twitter or simply send me an email at lanydelarock at gmail.com. The bonus episode I teased in the beginning of this one is coming next Tuesday. I had a short chat with my friend and fellow author and better reader Flora Kittle, who some of you might know as the reader for the Pen Garden Better Reading Program. 
Round 2 of the program opens at the end of this week, so we discussed what we wished writers considered before submitting their work to better readers. Even if you're not participating in the program, I think it's worth listening, as what we discuss is broad advice that can help you with any better reader you invite to give feedback on your books. A blog post which summarizes the ideas of this episode is available on my website, thepengarden.com. I have cited all my sources there so you can go on and continue your own research on the topic. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you can, please leave a short review. It helps more people discover the show. Alternatively, you can just share it with all your writing friends. I will appreciate you forever for it. But if you prefer to lurk, join my newsletter. It comes out once a month and has some news. As a bonus, all of them feature a cute animal and a book recommendation. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Hope you have an awesome week and speak to you soon.